Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Bible Time with Pastor Brian. This is your host, Pastor Brian. And so today we will be back in John chapter 3, where we'll be picking up with our study that we've been doing, this three-part study, into John 3. Um, once again, like I said last week, I'd like to thank you guys for all the prayers and support that you guys have been giving me. It's just so amazing and so just um, humbling to me, the impact that this podcast has been making on some people's lives. And I hope that I give it the best that I can in everything that I have. And I hope that you guys are able to learn something just as I'm learning a lot as I'm going through these scriptures with you. And so, like I said, we're going to be back in John chapter number three again today. And I'd like to pick up with verse number 22 um, here in John chapter three. I can get my internet to load. There we go. So John chapter 3, verse 22. says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Selim, because there was an abundance of water there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. So the John that's mentioned here is not to be confused with, of course, John the Apostle, the one that's writing the gospel that we're studying right here. Both would have been, um, in Hebrew at least, would have been Yohokanan. And so how did people distinguish between John that's being discussed here in Scripture and the John that wrote the gospel of John? Well, usually people would throw descriptors such as uh, somewhere they were from, like Jesus, sometimes called Jesus of Nazareth, or family relations where somebody is mentioned as being the son of somebody else, or their occupation, such as Simon the Tanner that we find in Acts. Well, John, that's here in the Gospel of John, is John the Baptist or the baptizer. And the way we know that is because John, the author of the Gospel, never actually mentions his own name in the entire gospel. And that was something I didn't really even realize until I was doing the study, that John never names himself. Every time he refers to himself, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the other gospels refer to him as John, and usually what they'll do is they'll throw in John the Baptist slash baptizer, depending upon which translation we're using there to determine which John is being mentioned. So, this is the John we're talking about, is John the Baptist baptizer. For just clarity's sake, I'm going to call him John the Baptist. Um, that's what I'm familiar with. And even reading here in the New American Standard with the titles and headers and everything, it mentions him as being John the Baptist. So that'll just keep things easier for me, and I hope it keeps things easier for you. But he was baptizing in this area of Anon. Now, Jesus is who actually we are introduced to in verse 22 again. And this is after his conversation with Nicodemus. And it says that Jesus was spending time with them. The uh, um, other translations will say tarried with them and was baptizing. And this isn't a time of vacation or relaxation or rejuvenation or any type of re-whatever you want to throw in front of it. It was a time of ministry. Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry. He was starting to baptize people and starting to teach more. And so that's where we find him right here, is that he is baptizing just as John had done to them. And this place here, 
where it says, now John also was baptizing in Anon, that is just a word for springs. So these are springs near Salim, or as Eusebius, he was a 4th century Christian theologian and historian. He claims is the village of Salumius in the Jordan Valley. And it says there were much waters there, or that um, because there was an abundance of water there is why these people were being baptized. Now, one thing I think we tend to forget sometimes is that they're living in the Middle East. All of these uh, like instances are occurring in the Middle East and what is now modern-day Israel and Jordan and Syria. And a lot of that land is very hot and very dry. So any place where springs are located is somewhere where people like to congregate, especially when it comes to baptism. And the people um, in the Jewish belief there, they loved to go through ritual cleansing with baptism. They believed in it. And John has been preaching this coming kingdom. And as part of that message, as part of their response to that message, people are getting baptized in preparation for it. And now Jesus himself is baptizing people in the same way that John was baptizing people. But see, John was baptizing people to prepare their hearts for God's kingdom. Jesus is there as the arrival of God's kingdom to this world. But that's all that that means there. So uh, people are still coming to John, even though he had already proclaimed Jesus to be the Lamb of God back in chapter number one. But you can go back and read that if you would like to. So they're still coming to John. They're also going to Jesus. And so that's where we find everybody right here. Verse 24, it clarifies that John has not been yet thrown into prison, which would be a very um, important storyline of the Gospels there. Verse 25 says, Then a matter of dispute developed on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. Anytime where you see the Jew or a, or the Jews or a Jew pop up in the Gospels, it's usually referring to somebody that's probably a member of the scribes or the Pharisees. And this Jew in particular is in a discussion, like a questioning type debate. Um, Zetasis um, is the word that's used here with John's disciples about this whole thing of purification. Because John was doing something that would have been very familiar to the Jews of the day, and they're wondering why John's baptism is so special. Matthew Henry, who I've quoted before, mentions that Jesus' disciples are probably, or John's disciples, rather, sorry. Uh, John's disciples are probably being all zeal and no substance, and have taken on an argument with someone who won't recognize John's baptism as legitimate, because of what we see in verse number 26. It says, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all people are coming to him. So he who was with you beyond Jordan, and that's, of course, talking about Jesus. Uh, if you go back once again to verse number, verse, chapter number 1, um, you see where John testifies to this. In verses 29 through 34, he calls Jesus the one he has been preparing the way for all this time and calls them huios theos, or the Son of God. And he also calls him the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. And now Jesus is also doing the same thing that John was doing. And his disciples, as in John's disciples here, are confused as to why they are, or why he is doing that and John is doing that at the same time. And this Jew has brought up that question as well to his disciples. And John's disciples didn't really have much of an answer um, for this. 
In verse 27, it says, And John replied, A person can receive not even one thing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John knows that Jesus is in the early stages of his ministry, but that all he has been given is from heaven. This is the realization that apart from God, none of what he has done or what Jesus is doing would be possible. John already knew this to be true, and he's wanting to teach his disciples that, that Jesus is seeing this increase in his ministry because heaven has deemed it so. God has deemed it so, that Jesus's ministry would begin to increase, while John's would also start to decrease. In verse 28, he says, You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. John's saying, I am not the Christ. I mean, he has a big following, a ton of respect, but he realizes and has stayed beside the fact that he is not the Messiah because he's met the Messiah before. Before he was even born, right after Jesus' conception, John is said to have leapt in his mother's womb upon meeting Mary. And not only that, when Jesus shows up to the River Jordan there, um, he looks at him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He never once claimed that he was the Messiah. He claimed that he was the one preparing the way for the Messiah. And he testified that Jesus was the Messiah that they were looking for. He says, I have been sent ahead of him. He's merely a messenger sent to prepare the way. And now the Messiah is here. Verse 29, he who has the bride is the groom, but the friend of the groom who stands and listens to him rejoices greatly because of the groom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. John equates himself as the friend of the bridegroom and Jesus himself as the bridegroom or the groom. The church, those who believe on Christ as the Messiah from God, sent to take away the sins of the world, they are the bride of Christ. They are the ones that have been waiting to hear and waiting to see the coming of this groom. And it is the job of the friend to prepare the way for the joining of the groom to his bride and rejoice when that union is finally realized. And see, that's what John's getting to see right here, is that the groom, the Messiah that prophets upon prophets and um, teacher upon teacher and scripture upon scripture from all of the um, old days there in what we call the Old Testament. They were all pointing to someone, pointing to this Messiah character that was coming. And that is who Jesus is. And that's who John is testifying that he is. And he says that his joy has been made full because of it. And not only that, he says something else in verse 30. He says that he must increase, but I must decrease. The reason that John was born into this world and was called into this ministry that he is now in has now been fully realized and fulfilled. The way has been prepared. The Messiah is here, and John knows what that means. That means it is time for him to take a step back to allow Jesus to take the step forward. According to Thayer's Greek lexicon here, the word increase is oxano, growing in authority of a teacher and number of followers. And then the word decrease is elatoo, to decrease in authority and popularity. 
People were looking at John as being a very important man. Many were calling him a prophet. Many were um, acclaiming him as to who he was, this messenger sent from the Lord. And yet, even through all of that, even through all the acclaim and all the popularity, whether good or bad popularity that John received from his messages, he never once wavered on the truth that he was not the Messiah. He was just there to prepare the way. He was there to prepare the road. He was there to set the stage for the coming of the Messiah. And he realized that that was his job. He knew that that was his calling. He knew that that was his ministry, was that he was to prepare the way. And so John realizes that Jesus' rise in following an authority will lead to a decrease in his. And he is completely okay with that. Completely and totally okay with that. Just as we that are followers of Jesus must decrease in our own authority and submit to the authority of Christ. Because ultimately, when it comes to the gospel, we have no authority. We have no power to stand on our own. But the power that we do have and the authority that has been granted to us is from Jesus Christ imparting his authority, his righteousness, and his power onto us. And so just as John said that he must decrease so that Jesus could increase, we are to do the same. And just as John mentions up there in verse 27, the followers we receive and the knowledge that we share are received from God, and it is to him alone that authority, glory, and honor belong to No matter how much time I spend studying, no matter how many people listen to my podcast, no matter how many people pay attention to you when you are trying to share the gospel with them, that opportunity that has been given to you, that knowledge that you have in that moment, that ability to share the truth of the gospel doesn't come from you. That authority to do that, that knowledge itself, does not belong to us. It belongs to the one who gave it to us. And that is the one that we speak about when we share it. Jesus Christ, the Son of Almighty God, and it is to him that all glory and honor and authority belong to. Verse 31 says, He who comes from above is above all. The one who is only from the earth is of the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is the he that came from above. Because of this, he is above all. Not just regular people, but the Pharisees and John himself as well. Those of the earth... Mankind, the ones born in Adam, are born of the earth. And because of this, they can only speak of earth. They are, just as Adam was, sinful and prideful and incapable of heavenly things and knowledge, aside from what has been given by he who comes from heaven, making him above all others. 32. What he has seen and heard, of this he testifies, and no one accepts his testimony. He has seen heavenly things, and it is of those things that he testifies of. Just as Jesus mentioned in Nicodemus back in verse 11, John testifies what Jesus is saying is true, because Jesus is the one that has seen it. He has been there. He's not speaking as somebody that has gotten this information secondhand. He is speaking as one with authority. He is speaking as like none other had spoken before. 
because they had never seen God before. God was made flesh. The Word dwelt among us. And the Word was God and is God. And see, who, we, who we're encountering here in John chapter 3 is God. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so, continuing on there, no, it says no one believes in him. No one accepts his testimony. Both John and Jesus speak of the rejection of the message that Jesus is bringing to the people. Jesus knows he's being rejected. John knows that Jesus is being rejected. And so they're both attesting to that. Verses 33 and 34, it says, The one who has accepted his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God sent speaks the words of God, for he does not give the Spirit sparingly. Those who follow Christ believe on his teachings because he tells the words of God in fullness and with spirit given to him without measure and not sparing. 1 Corinthians 12.4 mentions that there are varying gifts, but all are given by the Spirit. The prophets have been given a measure of the Spirit. Christ had the entirety of it. They were granted pieces. When we are given gifts from God through the Holy Spirit, we are given pieces of the Spirit. Jesus had access to the whole thing. He had no amount of measure to the Spirit within him and to the power that it had. He had no bounds. His power knows no limitations. And yet people didn't want to believe him. People didn't want to trust in him. Because what they ultimately had in their heart was that love for darkness that Jesus mentioned when he was talking to Nicodemus. They loved the darkness. And so because of that love for the darkness, they want to stay there. And they don't know the light when they see him. Because Jesus is the light. And he was the true light that shone among men. Verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has entrusted all things to his hand. His connection to the Father and to the Son of God, he loves him and has given him all things. Jesus is Lord of all, including the prophets. Because, see, the prophets were servants of God. Jesus is the Son of God. The prophets were called into great things, mighty things. Jesus had all power and authority. He had everything given to him in heaven and in earth. Verse 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we have this presentation of life and death. Life comes from believing in the Son of God. Eternal life. Death comes by not believing on the Son of God, which brings eternal judgment. Just as Jesus left Nicodemus to ponder about the gift of grace God imparts on those who believe on the Son, John leaves his disciples and the Jew questioning him with the same. Believe on the Son of God, and you will be granted eternal life. Reject the Son of God, and you will face eternal judgment. 
we are left with that same choice. Do we believe on him as he is? Do we trust he was telling the truth? Or do we reject him? Do we choose to remain under the wrath of God by not accepting the free pardon of sin that comes from believing on Jesus? I pray you trust in him today. And I thank you for joining me on Bible Time with Pastor Brian. Father, thank you for giving me the chance to study through John 3 and for being able to share it in this way. I pray this study brought honor and glory to you. And I pray for guidance as we continue to study your word. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we do humbly pray these things. Amen. Thank you all for joining, and I'll see you next week.